Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode comes to us two days after a devastating loss to the division rival Buffalo Bills, where the Jets lose 16-17 to in the home opener and season opener in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Now, this game was far, far from pretty, but it's absolutely one that the Jets could have and should have won. Sure, there were a ton of issues along the way. The offense never really got going, but they forced four turnovers— They held the Bills to zero points for almost three full quarters. They were playing at home, and the stars were aligning for a 1-0 start. Unfortunately, wheels came off at the end of the game. New York Jets couldn't score. They couldn't stop the Buffalo Bills when it mattered, and they couldn't make a field goal. They lose this thing 16-17. Now, a lot of people, it's overreaction week this week. We already knew it going in. People are going crazy. This is a chaotic win. The sky is falling around Jets Nation right now. Can't believe it's happening. We're not going to take that route in this episode right now. All right, the Jets have a long way to go. Yes, they're not great. They're not what we hoped they'd be week one with a new offense installed, with all the playmakers we brought in, the new defense. Sure, it's not what we hoped for, but it's not the end of the world, right? We planned on going, in my estimate, one and four in the first quarter of the season, one and three, rather. They're going to end up maybe 0 and four. If they can beat the Browns next week, one and three back on track. They need to get better, absolutely, in a bunch of different areas. But this isn't something that the Jets can't overcome. Does it mean that they're not a Super Bowl team? Yeah, probably not. But I don't think they were going to be that anyway. Does it mean that they're potentially an average team? Maybe just seven, eight, nine wins? Yeah, probably. And that's probably what we expected anyway. So let's not act like it's mind-blowing. Everybody has the Jets projected for seven, eight wins. But then they lose a game to a Buffalo Bills team that I actually think is pretty darn good. And it's like, oh my god, how could we lose this thing? It's unbelievable. Yes, we lost in terrible fashion. We didn't get the ball moving. Sam Darnold looked like a shell of what he was at the end of last year. The play calling was suspect, perhaps. No long plays in this game. But for crying out loud, it's one game. It's the first game of the season with a whole new offensive system implemented. A whole new defense. More complicated than ever on offense and defense. New offensive line. New pieces to fit in on offense. Cornerbacks. You know, We, we knew it was gonna, it was going to be difficult. And the Bills are not a bad team. I mean, you can say what you want about Josh Allen, but they've got a good young running back. We saw that. They have some fast-as-heck receivers. Josh Allen has a cannon for an arm and can run. It's a dangerous dual-threat-style quarterback. And their defense is like... I mean, I honestly think that when this season's all said and done, they're going to be a top-10 defense for sure. Maybe top five. They're not getting enough credit right now. Sure, they played a Jets team, but wait till you see them play some more teams this year. You're going to be impressed with what they have. They got the front, the linebackers, the cornerbacks. You know, we experienced all of that. But anyways, a lot of the stuff for things we're going to touch on later in the episode. Just kind of wanted to get the initial opinions and reactions out quickly. Other than that, we got a big episode lined up for today. A lot of things I want to get to. This is the first episode following an actual regular season game, so we're kind of back on the regular season rhythm. Try to get into some of that stuff. Tons of things to go over. I mean, it's more than just the win, the loss. It's more than just what happened in the game. It's, you know, how did everything shake up in terms of the offensive and defensive units playing, you know, we went through this whole preseason thing, who's going to make the roster, but then the game happened. Who played? Who got opportunities to do what? How did they do when they did it? You know, I want to talk about injury updates. We have some big breaking news this episode. 
three big things happen today. I mean, you know, I always wait until Tuesday to do these episodes. I like to see what happens on Monday Night Football, let the week truly come to a close, and then kind of get prepped for the next one. Sometimes on a Tuesday, you're lucky enough to get some uh, some new stories about your team and, and get those things firsthand. So get the pleasure of doing some of that today, which will be good. I'm going to talk about, you know, the roster, how it shaked up for the game, like I mentioned. I got some stars of the game. I'm going to revisit the doghouse from last year. We got uh, we got an interesting section for that this week. I'm going to talk about the rest of the offense, the defense, the special teams, and then, you know, our fun sections, father time, what's on tap. Those are coming back. going to do those, and then... A quick look at the standings of the AFC East. Look at the AFC. Let's take a look at the playoff picture because, you know, the Jets are within one game of the playoffs right now, and it's a really exciting time for them. This is, uh, you know, do or die. And then uh, Brown's preview for Monday Night Football next week, which is going to be, you know, anytime the Jets play on Monday Night Football, it's just, it, it usually ends up being a train wreck, but there's just the anxiety is there because you just know that everybody's watching. It feels like when the Jets play the Bills on 1 o'clock, it's like, Nobody's really watching that game. You kind of can secretly have a bad like, all right, we really sucked, but at least everyone didn't see that. You do it on Monday Night Football, and then everybody's talking about it. The whole world doesn't, you know, you can't choose a different game to flick to. If you're watching football, you're watching them. So hopefully they do a good job and, and make us proud. But we'll get into all that stuff, and uh, yeah, looking forward to all of it. As always, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan for more information and, and things, opinions on the New York Jets throughout the week when I'm not recording episodes. If you enjoy the podcast, I do encourage you to rate, review, subscribe, whatever on your iTunes, your Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really does go a long way, and I really appreciate that stuff. It keeps the uh, podcast going. So yeah, enough about that. Let's start talking about football. The New York Jets. This game played 1 o'clock, commentated by Kevin Harlan and Rich Gannon, 1 o'clock on CBS against the Buffalo Bills. We play our first home game, first game against the Buffalo Bills, and ton of excitement going into the game, of course, as there always is for week one. We're also implementing a new offensive system with Adam Gase, who's supposed to be really complicated and, you know, new stuff going on. And then you got Greg Williams, defensive coordinator, who's supposed to be super aggressive, all these different blitzes and things make it really hard on opposing quarterbacks. So we're excited to see all of that. We've got new pieces. Le'Veon Bell hasn't played all of preseason. Everyone's excited about that. Jamison Crowder's a new addition. We've got some new offensive linemen that haven't played yet for the New York Jets, Coletio Semele. Ryan Khalil, Sam Darnold, second year, obviously super exciting. We've got Quinn and Williams in the middle. What can he do? All these things going into the game. You're super excited. And Marcus May's healthy, so that feels good. And then you can't forget the anchor of the whole thing right now appears to be C.J. Mosley, who was an awesome addition, and uh, we're happy to see him on the field. So there's a ton of excitement going into the game. Now, the New York Jets, they don't get much going on offense for the first, well, really for any of the game. They have one good drive. That leads to eight points. But other than that, the offense can't really get going. The Bills, they come out offensively a little bit stronger early on. But luckily, the New York Jets keep forcing turnovers. They get, you know, the Bills drive down to New York Jets territory. We get a strip sack by Jordan Jenkins. Then later in the game, backed up in their own territory. Quick deflection, pops up. C.J. Mosley returns it for a pick six. All right, this is what I'm talking about. Welcome to the team, C.J. Unfortunately, Kari Vedvik stinks at kicking, and he misses the extra point. So it's like, all right, well, we should be up 7-0. We're up 6-0. You already know a game where you missed that first extra point like this. It's like, that's going to come back to bite us. We're probably going to lose this game now. You just, I kind of feel that. But game goes on. The Bills start moving the ball again. 
muffed snap, fumble, recovered by who else other than C.J. Mosley, all over the place, this guy in this game, and the Jets get the ball back. Unfortunately, we can't get anything going on offense. We're just doing short passes to Jamison Crowder and some pretty nifty runs by Le'Veon Bell that definitely are gaining more yards than you think they should, but it's still just, you know, four or five yards at a time. Nothing crazy, no chunk yardage. The longest play in this game for the New York Jets was 19 yards. I mean, that's crazy. Longest run, 12 yards. Longest pass, Jameson Crowder, 19 yards. Nothing. Robbie Anderson, the deep threat, basically neutralized in this game. Le'Veon Bell, nice plays, but didn't break anything big. So the first half is starting to wind down. The New York Jets have forced three turnovers at this point. I've only got the six points to show for it on the C.J. Mosley interception. Return for the touchdown. Another Another interception for the Jets. Tipped up Harvey Lange. Neville Hewitt gets it with about a minute 15 left in the half. Gets it about midfield. The Jets move the ball forward just enough to get into Kari Vedvik's kicking range, we think. You know, it's a little over 40 yards, but it's definitely a kickable ball for a guy who's kicked, you know, 56, 57 in the preseason. But just like the extra point, he misses it going into the half. Jets still just have a six-point lead. All right, this is like a bummer. Now, the big narrative in this whole thing between the fan base and, and coaching everything else is that the Jets had four turnovers in the first half and didn't score anything off of it. Everyone's saying, how could you force four turnovers and not score? Well, let's not be part of overreaction week and irrational week. Let's think about this thing realistically. All right, they had four turnovers. One of them was literally returned for a touchdown, so they got six points there. Should have been seven. Another one they got in to field goal range before the half, and they missed a field goal. Should have been three more points. There should be 10 off of it. The other two came in the Jets territory when the Bills were driving. And so the New York Jets, it's not like they got the ball with, you know, within 30, 40, 50 yards of the red zone. They're basically getting it after a long Buffalo Bills drive. And instead of punting the ball to that location, the Jets are waiting till the the Bills are down further, losing the ball, and they get the ball back there. So, yeah, things never really materialized on offense. I get it. But they really only had two missed opportunities, and both of them started in their own field position. It's not like they were just, you know, gimmies. The only one that was a gimme was C.J. Mosley's, and he returned it for points. So we did score points off of it. Now, yes, the offense couldn't get things going. And the second half proved that it would be just as difficult. We did have one good drive where Le'Veon Bell had a nice receiving pass where he split out wide as the wide receiver. He ran a nice little play, front of the end zone, caught the ball low, got into the end zone. Obviously, at this point, nobody trusts Kari Vedvik to kick an extra point, so we go for two. Sam Darnold, in Sam Darnold fashion, is rolling out, spinning back and forth, running far back. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but he's extending the play. He sees Le'Veon Bell deep in the corner of the end zone, chucks it up high. Le'Veon Bell goes up there like an absolute pro, catches the thing in front of the defender, and the Jets get two. So they're up 16-0. to zero. Things are looking good. C.J. Mosley is basically a ball hawk all over the field, leading the defense. It's not a great game from... Really, the rest of the team, the coverage has been tough, but the Jets have forced these turnovers, and, and they've made it possible for them, for them to be up 16-0. Now, unfortunately, C.J. Mosley leaves the game with an injury, and the wheels fall off. The Jets basically don't stop the Buffalo Bills for the rest of the game. They work their way down. They get a touchdown, touchdown, and a field goal, and they end up winning this game 17-16. to The Jets have one last drive at the end. Can't get anything to go. So many tipped passes against Sam Darnold in this game. Seemed like when we really needed to convert or get a drive going in the right direction, the defensive players on the defensive line would be tipping this ball down. So Sam Darnold has to work on that. But at the end of this whole thing, it was a messy, sloppy game. It didn't go the way we wanted. We didn't get the pressure on Josh Allen that we wanted. We didn't have the complicated, interesting offense that we wanted. It was a very one-dimensional offense, and the defense just looked like uh, it couldn't cover anybody in the secondary and couldn't get a bunch of pressure. 
So it all kind of just led to the first Jets loss of the season. But we aren't going to worry too much about it because it's week one and we're installing a brand new system on both sides of the ball. And in adding a bunch of new players on top of it at really key positions, running back, receiver, offensive line. It's not stuff that just happens overnight. You saw the first game of the season, most of us, the Bears against the Packers. How much rust was in that game? Those aren't bad teams. That's just what it looks like sometimes. And this game was messy for the Jets. This game was messy for the Bills. We ended up losing this thing. We didn't have the consistency. We will find it. We do have a tough schedule coming up, so you, we may not see it for some time. Hopefully it comes sooner than later, but you know it may take until that midway point of the season or so, but we are going to see it. And that's what we're going to carry into the end of this season, into next season, when this thing really starts to build and we try to get you know past that. We're not aiming for seven, eight wins. We're starting to aim for the playoffs. The Jets just need to get themselves in a position to be there. And I think that they will still. We just need a little bit more time. So the game is over, and naturally, everybody wants to hear Adam Gase's first press conference with the New York Jets following this loss. Everybody, the fans are irate. How could we lose this game? This is the biggest loss of all time in New York Jets history. This is absolutely unbelievable. Whatever. People are overreacting as they do, and we want to hear, what does Adam Gase have to say? Now, Adam Gase blames a bunch of players. He blames guys like Robbie Anderson. He says that the receivers don't play very well. Um, he blamed, obviously, the kicker in this game. He you know, was a little bit aloof when talking about Kari Vedvik, and if he had confidence in him anything like that you know he, he acted like he didn't really know what they were talking about and stuff and everyone was just talking about how sassy and pissed off Adam Gase was which is kind of ironic because everybody in the fan base that day seemed to be sassy and pissed off but unfortunately those two things didn't mesh together it was just like well I now I'm mad that he's like this and you get some people like Manish Mehta who a lot of us know is uh, a bit of a you know whatever you want to call him he's one of the Jets beat writers who may or may not always be awesome and you know he's posting stuff about how ridiculous this is of Adam Gase he's acting like a child blaming players won't take any of the blame himself and you got to ask yourself do we not remember one of the best coaches in NFL history one of the former New York Jets coaches that we talk about all the time on this podcast within the fan base Bill Parcells do you know what his press conferences sounded like I mean the guy would blame people point blank when Terry Glenn the wide receiver for the Patriots was a rookie and he was the coach. He literally referred to him as a she and a her in a press conference his rookie year. He goes, yeah, she's progressing, talking about Terry Glenn on purpose. I mean, this guy would come at you and he would let you know these people aren't performing. Say, I mean, go back. I, I implore you to go back and listen to some of his press conferences and just hear the way he handled the media. Now, unfortunately, in today's day and age, everybody's so sensitive that you say something that's actually truthful. You don't just, you know, bookend up. Nothing happened on to next week. We're not going to talk about it. Let's go to next week. Or Todd Bowles and say the same, you know, quiet, well, we got to get better. Got to keep working on it. We'll get there. You want to keep hearing that every single week? Or do you want to hear a guy that's got some emotions, got a little bit of rawness to him? It's okay. It's not the end of the world. All right. I don't think the players are mad at him for talking the way that he did about the team. I think they're just as pissed off and they understand it. And we all have to get better. So let's not freak out about the press conference. Everything is fine. We're 0-1, so everything's not fine. But in terms of the press conference and the way he handled himself, let's not worry about it at all. Okay, now before we get into more of the nitty-gritty of this Jets-Bills game, let's do a little bit of breaking news on the New York Jets. Three storylines that surfaced today, starting with the kicker competition. The Jets bring in five kickers to do a tryout at their uh, training facility and let these guys compete 
for a job. Kari Vedvik gets waived, and the Jets go with Sam Ficken. Who is Sam Ficken, you're asking yourself? He sounds like he's not very good. Well, that's because he's not very good, and we don't know who he is. He played for the Packers in training camp this year. He's kicked for the Rams in two different seasons in the past. I think it was like 16 and 17 or 17 and 18. And so in his career between those those two seasons with the Rams, he has six career field goal attempts. Three of them he's hit. All right, so he's 50% there. Not great. And the longest one he's ever made is 34 yards, which is also not great. Uh, he is 14 for 15 on extra points in his career, which is good because we haven't been able to make an extra point. But when you have a field goal kicker, the goal is to kind of to make you know those three-point tries when you have them. And I'm not sure if this is the guy for it, but they bring in a competition between really five younger kickers. Uh, they don't bring any of those 40-year-old vets that a lot of the Jets fans have been looking at these last few weeks. But uh, they bring in these young guys. Ficken wins the competition. I mean, we don't know how he performs, right? You're like, well, he's kicking in practice. There's no pressure. You know, when you're in a five-man kicking competition and it's basically win the competition or don't get a job, there is a little bit of pressure there. It's not real game pressure, but it does mean something. And, you know, he kicked the best that day. You heard about Kari Vedvik before the game in the Buffalo Bills missing all of his kicks in practice prior. You're like, oh, my gosh, that is a terrible sign. And then he brought it into the game. At least this guy's kicking well in practice, which is a step above where we were this time last week. But we're not going to sit here and act like Sam Ficken is the answer for the New York Jets. He's a 26-year-old kicker who's never really found a place in this league. He's had opportunities here and there, and frankly not been all that good. This is a guy that may quickly be replaced. The leash is very short for him. Speaking of leash for this guy, I was going to put Kare Vedvik in the doghouse after his terrible performance, literally missing the only opportunities he had, but because he's not on the team, he's going to get replaced with Sam Ficken. And you're probably asking yourself, why are you putting the new guy in the doghouse? He hasn't done anything wrong. Well, he has kicked six times in his career, and he's missed half of them, and the longest is from 34 yards, so he needs to be held accountable for that. Also, he's in the doghouse because he is basically on his way out if he has a bad game. The leash, like I said, is so short that if he has, you know, if he misses the extra point in the kick, this week. He's going to be cut as well. We're going to have to bring another guy in. There's no scenario where the Jets are now just super confident and thicken and he's the guy moving forward. No, he's he's in that same position Gary Vedvik was in. It's like, you know, put up or shut up, you know, do it or get out. And, you know, obviously for Jets fans, we'd like to have the answered now, but uh, it may not be the end of this story. Other news in the New York Jets, Nathan Shepard gets suspended for six games for performance-enhancing drugs. We don't remember his performance ever being enhanced, but maybe that's what we were seeing all along. Unfortunately, this is a, uh, a bad news situation for a guy who was frankly hardly even on this roster. Maybe Greg Williams and the boys were hoping the PEDs would work a little better and eventually he'd get big enough, strong enough, fast enough, what have you, to finally play some good defensive line. Unfortunately, we may not see that. This guy is... Uh, you know, he's just, he's a good guy. We rooted for him coming out of college. We didn't understand the pick, but we were rooting for him. And, uh, you know, it's been a really tough go for him. He hasn't transpired into much of a player on the field. And now this, you know, six game suspension, he may appeal it. Maybe it'll be lessened, you know, maybe it'll be delayed or whatnot, but when he is suspended, he won't be taking up a roster spot. So, you know, he was inactive for the Jets this week anyway. It's not like we're losing a guy that was playing for us. It's just, uh, you know, it's unfortunate for him, and it's the new storyline that's going on. But that gets overshadowed by the biggest storyline of the day, which, you know, frankly, not a huge move, but 
the Jets trade a sixth round 2021 pick to the rival New England Patriots in return for veteran wide receiver Demarius Thomas. Now, the Jets are actually the last team in the NFL that Bill Belichick had not traded with. He'd traded with all other 30 teams, just not the Jets, since his head coaching in 2000. And now he has traded with the New York Jets, taking the 2021 pick for Demarius Thomas. Now, what does this mean for the New York Jets? Frankly, it doesn't mean all that much. I honestly think that Joe Douglas places low value on 6th and 7th round picks. We've seen him trade him for some other players so far, Hairston from the uh, Colts. We saw him trade for guard Alex Lewis from the Ravens. And these are all just bench pieces. None of these players even had any significance at all or impact or playing time in week one. So it's like, well, why is he trading for him? Because honestly, sixth round picks are not worth that much. And if you can get a, a veteran player who can do something, even as a role player, that's probably better than what you're going to get in the sixth round. Let's give an example of what the Jets have drafted in the sixth round for the past, you know, eight years or so. Blashawn Austin, Perry Nickerson, Foley Fadakasi, Trenton Cannon, Elijah McGuire, Jeremy Clark, Derek Jones, Brandon Dixon, I.K. Enningpali, Taj Boyd, Trevor Riley. Quinty Anun was mixed in there. He's the best player that we've had, and even still, I mean, what does he have to show for it? In the 800-yard season, maybe in a bunch of injuries? Will Campbell. Josh Bush, Terrence Ganaway, Robert Griffin. Those are all of the sixth-round picks the Jets have had. Of that group, the only starters in this were Quincy Nunwa, who's been a starter, Eli McGuire almost as like a, a fringe depth running back. He's not on the roster anymore. You, know, you got Trenton Cannon and Foley Fadikasi are still on the roster, but they haven't had any impact for the New York Jets so far other than some special teams and some you know minor moments here and there. Perry Nickerson was absolutely awful. We traded him for a sixth-round pick. Kind of shows just, or a seventh-round pick, but just shows how invaluable those picks are. It's worth about a Perry Nickerson. And then Blashawn Austin, who we took this year, the guy's not even playing. It's just, we didn't trade anything that transpires into a good player for the New York Jets in our history. We've got a 6% success rate if you count Quincy Nunwa. Now, I would say that Demarius Thomas probably has higher than 6% chance of having some sort of positive impact on this team right? He's got an 8% chance or higher of being better than Jeremy Clark or Derek Jones, Eli McGuire, Foley Fadakasi. I mean, who from this really changed the game for the New York Jets and made us a better team? Who of those players should have been on a winning roster? None of them. Quincy Nunwa, maybe, and I still have my questions about him. We'll see what he can do. Can he ever get open again in the NFL, or does he have to be a swing route on like a wide receiver screen and then let him become a running back? You hear him complaining he doesn't want to be a you know tight end and do tight end plays. Well, you know what? When you're that big and you get paid $32 million, you kind of have to do what you're told. Anyways, moving on. The sixth round pick doesn't break the bank. Joe Douglas has shown that he doesn't value them too high. He takes in Demarius Thomas to be our sixth receiver because we only had five. One being Braxton Berrios, who's never caught a pass in the NFL. The fourth being... Josh Bellamy, who has under 1,000 career receiving yards in the NFL in like a nine-year career. So you really have Robbie Anderson, Quincy Nunwa, Jamison Crowder. All three have had injuries. All three have had injuries recently, within the last year. And it's like, all right, what happens after that? Even with all of our players, including Barrios and Bellamy, we can only run a five-receiver set. With all of our guys, there's nobody left. So we have to bring another player in. We were wondering when it would happen. Nathan Shepard's suspension may open up the roster spot. Demarius Thomas, you know, the bar for him 
with a sixth-round pick being the wide receiver four for this New York Jets team is like 175 yards, honestly. I think if he gets 200 yards, which is more than anybody like Sharon Peak or any of those other late-round picks the Jets have had at the end of the roster, you know, if he gets more yardage than that, it's probably worth the sixth-round pick. And then next year, he'll trade the 2022 pick for another aging veteran. And then he'll trade the following year the 2023 pick in the sixth round for another guy. Like, it's, it's not... It's not the end of the world. You get another one that you can trade every year. And as we saw from our list, the Jets don't get a bunch of good players there. So Demarius Thomas, tall receiver, could be good in the red zone. I honestly think that he's a little bit burnt out. I think that he was uh, declining when he went to the Texans. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but maybe he can get us a touchdown or two in the red zone. He definitely provides more depth than, you know, Braxton Berrios or Josh Bellamy, I think, in the receiving game. And, uh, and we'll see. You know, maybe he, he gets a chemistry with Sam Darnold, but it's not anything that's going to hurt the Jets having him there. We don't have to cut a good player. We didn't have really enough wide receivers to begin with, so it's all good. We'll see what he can do. And the last news on the New York Jets going on right now is the injury updates. Two serious injuries this week. We heard about Quinn and Williams in a walking boot following the game. He's just got an ankle sprain, and he's questionable right now for the game. It's not going to be anything that should linger on too long. He probably won't practice tomorrow, but there's a chance that he could play in the game. Maybe he won't be available against the Browns, but he's just a rookie. Expectations for him have to be tempered, and it's not going to you know, make or break the roster having him out there or not. Steve McClendon is a serviceable backup, and Foley Fadakasi is, I'm sure, chomping at the bit to get an opportunity to come out there and, and do something for this team. So we'll see if Quinn Williams comes back sooner than later. Hopefully he'll be there available for Monday. He does have an extra day to rest and recover. But, uh, yeah, currently the ankle sprain and the walking boot. He's walking around. We'll wait for further updates later in the week. A little bit more positive is the C.J. Mosley injury. He left the game in, like, the third quarter against the Bills with a groin injury after being by far the best player on the field. And they did an MRI. It doesn't appear to be too serious, says Adam Gase, and they expect him actually to play against the Browns on Monday, which is a huge deal because we need him out there. We saw what the defense looked like with him on the field and without him on the field against the Bills. I mean, it, he could be the difference in the game, honestly. If he was in the game against the Bills, we probably would have won because, you know, Blake Cashman came in and he didn't do the greatest job in the world. He didn't do bad, but he didn't make a positive impact the way um, C.J. Mosley did. He missed a tackle or two. Cashman did. Mosley did nothing wrong and made positive impact all over the field. Passing game, running game, everywhere. So that's the biggest news and should be a big sigh of relief for all New York Jets fans. Now I'm going to get into... The game specifics, who played, where they played, what they did, who stood out, you know, all that. But first, we got to take a pit stop at the cooler for a section called What's on Tap. That's right, folks. It is What's on Tap. And in this section, I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking while recording this episode. And we all know after that Bills game, it is more needed now than ever. So I'm not messing around with a Faderade. I'm not messing around with any Michelob Ultra or Babe Rosé with bubbles. This is the real deal. I got something good today courtesy of roommate Kyle, stopped, uh, did a little trade with one of his buddies for a special Connecticut beer that is very hard to get, possibly impossible to get in a package store, at least from my experience, from New England Brewing Company. It is called Fuzzy Baby Ducks. It's an IPA, 6.2% alcohol, and yeah, the name is Fuzzy Baby Ducks. It's got an absolutely cool, adorable little can. It's like a little light blue, and it's got a blue unicorn pooping a rainbow that is coming out of his butt 
forming a sort of slide that these baby ducks are sliding down with little hearts and clouds. And uh, yeah, it sounds ridiculous, but this thing is a really good beer. I'm going to read the back of it to you. Our third single hop beer brewed with 100% citra hops. Big citrus aromas with a delicate dry malt presence. Juicy resinous. I always say that wrong. It's juicy resinous. Orangey hop flavor makes this beer a treat for lovers of hoppy beer. Drink it. It's good. And it is hoppy. And the citra hops is like my favorite. It's kind of like the OG when all these hazy IPAs were coming out in the New England style IPAs. That was like the one you always heard about. Was, Ooh, citra hops. Brewed with citra. And that was the one you wanted to go for. These days, they're messing around with, like, uh, galaxy hops and stuff around here. And it ain't really my scene. I don't like them as much. This one tastes like an old classic. It is delicious. I highly recommend it if you can get it. It's in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Is New England Brewing Company. They don't always have it on draft or even in cans or anything. you got to check the schedule beforehand and see when they're brewing it. But, uh, yeah, it is a... It is a I'm going to have another sip of this thing. It has a remarkable treat. It's light. It's 6.2%, and it's got this, like, fluffy flavor, but it's still bitter and has that, that hoppy, bitter citra haze that I love. And, uh, yeah, this is a really good one. The funny thing about it is, uh, unlike almost all other beers like this, it's it's in a 12-ounce a can. It's not in a tall boy, which almost all of the ones like this that I get are. But that's okay. It's Fuzzy Baby Ducks. It's delicious. It was a wonderful gift by roommate Kyle. He even rec- he was like, you could bring this on the What's On Tap. I was like, yeah, heck yeah, I'm going to put it on What's On Tap. Fuzzy Baby Ducks is a, is a classic. Hard to get. And uh, hopefully some of you have an opportunity to try it one day. You know, if you do, let me know what you think. Okay, so that is What's On Tap. So moving on to the Jets-Bills game. I think one of the things that I was most excited about going into the game was just seeing who the healthy scratches were because you got a 53-man roster, but you have to have seven inactives for the game. Some of those guys may be injured. They all may be healthy, whatever it is. You can't dress 53 guys. You can only dress 46 guys. So just have seven scratches. The first one, Bilal Powell, for an injury to his neck, they're saying um, he's probably right in that healthy scratch range anyway because they want to do Ty Montgomery, Le'Veon Bell, and Trenton Cannon is there on special teams. Powell's there in case there's an injury to anybody. He comes in as the next running back. And, uh, you know, obviously you don't want to put a guy like Powell on the practice squad because he very quickly got up. Uh, all these guys on this list, basically, the Jets don't want to risk putting them on the practice squad because they think a team could take them. At the same time, they also don't think that they're worth suiting up for a very important game. So sometimes the game situation may dictate, you know, this team, we should probably have four running backs or this team, we need to have a beefier defensive line. Sure, you may move some guys that way. But for the most part, these inactives list is kind of that in-between the practice squad and, you know, the actual roster. It's these guys that aren't quite cracking it to being suited up for the game, but they're still not in that area on the practice squad where you can get picked up by any team and your position is not really safe. These guys are under contract. They are on the, you know, the 53-man roster. It's just they don't get to put an impact into the game. And we'll see if injuries occur, if these guys get called on, you know, because there's an opportunity or because they're playing really well in practice because a game dictates it or if an injury you know forces them to move up a little bit quicker other healthy scratches Bennett Jackson the defensive back who has very little playing experience in the NFL but the Jets are decided to take a flyer on him see if he can do anything Chuma Adoga the rookie tackle he's there mostly because Tom Compton's there and can play essentially all of the offensive line positions and uh, they can just suit up one guy in Tom Compton and have him be 
guard, center, tackle, whatever they may need. Chuma Odoga not necessarily needed until we have, you know, further injuries to either tackle or something like that. And then it was a surprise that the Jets kept nine defensive linemen on this 53-man roster. You're like, how, how do we have nine defensive linemen and five wide receivers and, like, what looks like no cornerbacks, two quarterbacks? It's like, you know, it doesn't make any sense how you have nine defensive linemen. But in this game, they elect to healthy scratch Kyle Phillips, Nathan Shepard, Foley Fadakasi, and newly acquired John Franklin Myers. So, essentially, half of those guys aren't even suiting up for the game. The Jets go in there with five of the nine. And uh, like I said, I think that they think the defensive line is one of the strengths of their team. And they really want to see what happens through the year as injuries happen and, you know, suspensions maybe to guys like Nathan Shepard. Um, and you, you have more opportunity and, and it gets thinned out a little bit as the season goes on. I think that they want to keep all of these players close. They don't want to put them on the practice squad. They don't want to lose them. They think that they're worth holding on to. At the same time, you know, you don't have to go into the game with nine. So this is your way of keeping them for later, kind of shelving them, and we'll see what uh, what impact those guys bring later on. Now for the guys that did play, I was also interested in seeing, all right, so we know those players aren't going to have an impact in this game. Maybe later in the season they will. What about the other players in the team? What kind of snap counts did they get? What did guys like Trevon Wesco, Ty Montgomery, Joshua Bellamy, Nate Harrison, a bunch of guys, you know, what kind of opportunity are they given in this game? How did Greg Williams and Adam Gase feel, you know, they need to be involved? High level, low level, are they first? The depth chart comes out early, and they've got guys, you know, like Harvey Lange listed in the starting lineup, but you don't know until the game happens. Is he actually ahead of Frankie Luvu? You know, what is the ranking in terms of outside linebacker? So let's look into the snap count from this game. Oh my gosh, so interesting. Sam Darnold plays all snaps. Very cool. And while going through these snap counts, I'm also going to make sure that I touch on how the player did in the game as well, because we want to hear all of that good stuff too. So Sam Darnold, he had what a lot of people are considering a very bad game, and it's true. He did not have a strong game at all. Total stats, he went 28 completions on 41 attempts, 68%. That's pretty good. Happy with 68%. Anything over 65, we're happy. Unfortunately, it was for 175 total yards. 4.3 yards per attempt which is extremely low, one of the lowest he's ever had. He did have a touchdown pass to a running back and no interceptions, which is great. But he got sacked four times, and a lot of times it looked like he wasn't looking downfield. He was looking for short throws, almost always to Jameson Crowder or a running back. He had 28 completions, and 20 of them were to Jameson Crowder or Le'Veon Bell. So there's only eight other receptions in the whole game to go around. Now, Sam Darnold wasn't looking downfield a ton. It looked like Adam Gase really wanted to get you know, Le'Veon Bell involved in the game. He clearly wanted to get Jameson Crowder there. We know that Adam Gase likes to run mesh concepts with a lot of crossing routes, short, shallow ones, especially with his slot receiver like Crowder. You just didn't want to see him targeted quite that many times. You want to see Sam Darnold looking around the field, getting more players involved. Now, Robbie Anderson getting shouted by a good wide receiver. You got Quincy Dunwood has trouble getting open. You got no tight end in there with uh, Chris Herndon out. You got like one of these backups, Ryan Griffin or whomever else. So you don't have a ton of weapons out there. But Sam Darnold, he just, you know, part of it's going to be the offensive line that didn't play great. Honestly, it was their first game playing together as a unit ever. They didn't do it all training camp with all five of those guys out there. So there were going to be some growing pains. Sam Darnold was under pressure a bit, sacked four times, hurried around, didn't ever truly look comfortable, didn't stand back there and deliver nice timing, deeper throws like he did a lot, especially at the end of last year. And... No, it was not a good performance from him. He didn't turn the ball over, which is good. He showed, you know, good accuracy, 
Obviously, that 68% just very, very low throws. Um, he didn't have any big delay of game penalties. He didn't have trouble with the offense getting the plays called in or anything like that with the new unit. Um, he didn't make any big mistakes in this game. He just didn't take enough chances. And it's something that hopefully Adam Gase and he work on to get more confident, get more people involved, and can be better. But I hear people around the fan base and, and in the organization and outside, people, fans of other teams just around the NFL that are calling Sam Darnold, you know, they're starting to say, maybe he's a bust. Maybe there's an issue with him. we got to find another quarterback. This guy doesn't seem like he got any better after year one. You need to stop it right now. Seriously, this guy is going to be just fine. He's starting with a brand new offensive playbook, way more complicated than anything Jeremy Bates ever ran with Adam Gase and Dawa Loggins for whatever he's worth. Um, and it's not going to be good right away. The offensive line is just starting to come together. They're just starting to build chemistry. So we have to be a little bit more patient with this. The Bills are a very good defense. You put together a new offensive line against a really good defense with a brand new playbook for the first game of the year after minimal snap attempts in the preseason. And what do you think you're going to get? Some perfect product that's going to come out here and deliver and be like, oh my gosh, look at Adam Gase. He's just such a wizard. And Sam Darnold delivers everything. And this guy's a future Hall of Famer. Listen, that's not what we're going to get. You know what you're going to get? You're going to get a solid to average, decent looking game. And honestly, had the Jets won this game, a lot of people would be like, well, Sam Darnold did enough to not lose the game. He didn't turn the ball over. He found a way to keep him in it and get the win, which is all anybody really wanted. But because they lose the game, everything gets switched a little bit. And it's like, well, he didn't do enough. He just didn't do enough. Well, what if we had a stop at the end of the game? What if we got it? And it'd be like, all right, I'm glad Sam Darnold didn't try anything too crazy and get an interception. He found a way to, way to weasel out the first win in a really messy, sloppy, ugly game, working through all these new components. Unfortunately, that's not the case. It's got a little bit of a different narrative to it now. And, uh, and people are calling for, you know, calling for as much as his head. It's just ridiculous. Come on, let's give this guy a break. Let's see what he can do this week. We got a long year. He's under contract for cheap for a long time. The kid is going to be absolutely awesome. He's the best quarterback I've seen play for the Jets in my lifetime. And that's no shot at Vinny Testaverde or Chad Pennington. That is a shot at Mark Sanchez and Geno Smith. But the other guys were good and everything. Sam Darnold just has a way about him, the way that he handles the press, the way that he moves in the pocket, the way that he can roll out and make every single throw, the way he's got a cannon of an arm, he's got crazy precision when he needs to have it, but he also has the confidence to make a difficult throw on the run. I mean, you see it all from him. It just hasn't come together all the way entirely yet, but it's not supposed to after one year, one year plus one game. I mean, he didn't even play a full year last year, right? So he's still under 16 total games played. Let's give the guy a break and see what he can do moving forward. When it comes to running back, Le'Veon Bell plays every single snap. Jets had 72 offensive snaps in this game, and every single one was played by the boy, Le'Veon Bell. And it made sense. I mean, right away, you saw this guy is so darn good. Now, his stats may not jump off of the page, but you know, keep in mind, this was a game where we scored eight total points on offense. He was involved in every single one of them. And there were a lot of times where it looked like Le'Veon Bell was going to get stopped in the backfield, stopped after a gain of one, gain of two, where he found a way to squirt forward, break a tackle, keep his balance, keep fighting, and get, you know, three to four additional yards that you didn't think you were going to get. And that stuff goes so far, not only with the coaching and everything, but just with the success of a team. Because, you know, you saw guys like Elijah Maguire and Isaiah Crowell that would constantly, constantly just lose yardage. They would get tackled for a one-yard gain or minus one, zero yards, and it just really sets you up for nothing. When you run the ball, you're hoping to get three, four yards. You're not expecting to 
get it to the house every single time. But you are expecting to pick up positive yardage and to kind of give you a little bit more flexibility with the playbook. I mean, Sam Darnold has said it a bunch of times. It's really important to him to keep getting positive yardage and putting himself in good situations. You know, nothing is better than second and short. Because second and short, you can take a shot. You can try to pick up the first down. You know, you're really close to getting that first down, which is what you're going for. But you also can risk going for something a little bit deeper because you know you have another chance to pick up one yard. Any team in the NFL, you hope that you can pick up a yard when you have to pick up a yard. We know that's not the case. We know that a ton of teams get stopped on third and ones and whatnot. But in reality, you're hoping that you have a play that can gain you one yard when you need it, one way or another. So Le'Veon Bell showed us that he's going to put us in those positions quite a bit this year. It's going to be a situation where maybe last year we'd be dealing with, you know, after a one-yard run, a second and nine. But this year, Le'Veon Bell is giving us a second and five. And now it's like, okay, do we want to throw five or six yards to pick up a first down? Do we want to only throw four yards to get within one yard of the first down? Do we want to go deeper, run the ball? It gives you a lot more options. When you get stuck second and 10, third and 10, everybody knows, all right, they have to do a deep pass. Otherwise, they're basically giving up on the drive. You got to start picking up chunk yardage when you get in those situations. Small yardage situations, more wiggle room. And Le'Veon Bell gave us that. He was great. I mean, I loved everything I saw from him. He blocked fantastically. He did have six catches in this game for 32 yards. One of those was the touchdown. He had the awesome two-point conversion that we talked about before. Um, when it came to running the ball, I thought he did better than the numbers show. He was 17 for 60 uh, when the game is over, 3.5 yards per attempt. A lot of that comes down to his long was 12. He didn't have any big gainers that's really going to boost that average up, which I think he's going to get more of as the year goes on. Like I said, this Bills defense is good. They're not one that you're just going to be, you know, taken to the house every time to. But Le'Veon Bell, still a strong performance and uh, something to build off of. Jets fans saw it. He's worth the, he's worth the money. He is. I mean, this guy changes the offense, and he, he just brings that spark to it. He played 100% of the snaps. Like we said, 100% of the snaps. I mean, he's a guy that you don't even take off the field. If you have to, you line him up as a wide receiver. He split out wide, not even in the slot on his touchdown play. He's just a really unique player that uh, we're going to enjoy watching all year long. So moving on, Ty Montgomery, he only played in five snaps. So a lot of people were surprised by this because Ty Montgomery seemed like, you know, he was featured a lot in the preseason. He seemed like a guy that was going to complement the Adam Gay style offense very well. And then with Chris Herndon's suspension for the first four weeks, you're thinking to yourself, all right, we don't really have another tight end that's worth putting in the roster, but maybe for those four weeks until you get Herndon back, you're running more two running back sets. You're doing some more trickery, some option plays where maybe you can do an end around with one of the, one or the other, Le'Veon Bell, Ty Montgomery, you know, confuse the defense a little bit. We didn't see really any of that. Ty Montgomery had a very minimal impact in this game. He did have two carries for four yards, but, you know, what is that? That's nothing. It was on. It was the Le'Veon Bell show, and Ty Montgomery was just not a part of the game plan. We'll see if that changes moving forward. I would think it would. I was surprised that you know he only got those five snaps. Hopefully, we see a little bit more creativity with him moving forward because he is a guy that can play running back. He can play wide receiver. You can move him around. You can ask him to do whatever. I mean, he's a he's a pro. The rest of the running backs, you know, Blau Powell didn't play. So the other guys, Trenton Cannon, he only played one offensive snap. No impact there. He was a special teamer, and that was about it. When it came to the wide receivers, Robbie Anderson was the guy that led the way in snap count. He played 96% of the snaps, which is the highest. Unfortunately, he didn't have a great game. He had three receptions for 23 yards, long of nine. He uh, he waited on a ball in the end zone that was thrown pretty well by Sam Darnold and defended away by the, by the defensive back. If he went up to get the ball, maybe could have made a play on it. 
Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Later in the game, at the end of the game, he had an opportunity on a deep pass that uh, it was thrown a little short, and Robbie just kind of sat down and waited for it to get to him, and the defensive back caught up, knocked the ball away, and we didn't get a big play there. Again, if Robbie Anderson came to the ball, we may have had a really good opportunity to have our longest play of the game. But unfortunately, he didn't do that. And the chemistry with Sam Darnold just wasn't there. Now, keep in mind, Tredavious White is a very, very, very good man cornerback for the Buffalo Bills. And he had his work cut out for him. But uh, still, you would have liked to see him capitalize on those. And when those deep balls come, just be a little bit more aggressive. You know, don't wait for the ball to get to you. Go up and get it. That's something that he's going to have to work on as the season goes on. You heard Gase give him a little bit of shade in the press conference, and rightfully so. It's something that Robbie Anderson, if he's going to be the deep ball threat that he is, I know he wants to be more balanced, but if he's still going to have that skill set of being like a really good burner who can catch a good deep ball, he's got to be a little bit more aggressive going up to get it. Other receivers, you got a lot of playing time from Quincy Nunwa, 92% of snaps. He had a very quiet game. Quincy Nunwa, he left injured at one point, but I mean, he's just, he has trouble getting open. I mean, he hardly got targeted at all in this game. And a team that seemed like they tried to do a bubble screen to him, like, you know, once a quarter last year, he's now not getting the ball at all. I mean, this was the Jamison Crowder show, and Quincy Noon was just not showing up. And he got banged up a little bit in this game. You hope that's not anything serious. He did come back out, but we just signed him to a longer contract for some decent money. He can't be complaining about doing tight end responsibilities, and he has to find a way to get open. We can't just design a bunch of plays for Quincy Nunwa. He's good, but he's not that good. It's not, we need to run an offense through Quincy. He's supposed to be a good complimentary piece, but to do that, you have to get open as a wide receiver. That's just what the job is in the NFL. And if you get told to block or come in line close to the offensive line, just do it. All right, no complaints. You got a big contract for a late round pick and a guy that's been injured and really never put up huge monster numbers. So, frankly, just do your job. Then moving on to Jamison Crowder. He only played 90% of snaps, which is still very many. It is 65. Keep in mind, the only other guys that played snaps for the wide receivers, Braxton Berrios didn't get a single one. It was Joshua Bellamy, the only other receiver. He played six snaps. So, really, this whole game, it was Jamison Crowder, Quincy Anonwa, Robbie Anderson out there all the time. And then you always had Le'Veon Bell for 100% of snaps. Then it was a very small mixture of the tight ends, Joshua Bellamy for a couple plays, Ty Montgomery for a couple plays, Trenton Cannon for one play. You know what I mean? Because you have five position players, five offensive linemen, one quarterback, five other guys. It's basically the three receivers, the running back, and then the other the other spot, that fifth spot, that usually will probably be Chris Herndon, was split. So Jameson Crowder, he played 65 snaps. This guy tied Al Toon's most receptions by a wide receiver ever for the New York Jets with 14. The most receptions ever was in 1980 against San Francisco by Clark Gaines, who's a running back. So he had 17 back in 1980. Later on, Al Toon, he had 14, and that's the most for a wide receiver ever. Last game, first game of the season, welcome to the New York Jets. Jameson Crowder, Crowder ties that record at 14, which is all really awesome. I mean, 14 catches on only 17 targets. The guy was super efficient. He had a bunch of first downs, a couple plays with some nice yak, showed good hands, quick feet, is looking healthy, and looks like a good weapon with Sam Darnold. Unfortunately, his longest play was 19 yards. He only totaled 99 yards, which on 14 catches is like almost nothing. 
and just going to him as a security blanket over and over again just never really gave the offense a chance to get into any other rhythm. And it's possible that it's Quincy's fault or that it's Robbie's fault or the tight end's fault, but we just didn't ever get into a rhythm. It just seemed like it was too one-dimensional, and it was just, let's pick up five yards because we have it here. Let's pick up five yards because we have it here. And, uh, you know, you throw in some penalties, you throw in some missed passes or batted balls at the line, and five yards doesn't get you a first down. You can't just get four yards, then five yards and have a ball batted, all of a sudden you got fourth down again. So the Jets found themselves in those positions too many times, and uh, hopefully the game doesn't run so much through Jamison Crowder next week, but we do see that he's a valuable asset who's able to get open, able to pick up first downs, move forward when he catches the ball, and uh, definitely has good hands. So, you know, new receiver for Sam Darnold. Quincy Nunwa and Robbie Anderson have been there with him before. The new guy's Crowder, and clearly he has made an impact and has a chemistry with him already. On pace for well over... 100 receptions, and it's been a very long time since the New York Jet had 100 catches in the season. The rest of the wide receiver, you know, Bezo, he had one catch in this game. He only had 15 yards. It was an okay play, one of the longer plays of the game, but uh, that was his big impact. He wasn't really ever going to be an offensive weapon in this game. When it came to tight ends, Ryan Griffin, he played the most snaps. He actually went in at 94%. You know, he obviously got the nod over Trevon Wesco and Daniel Brown, who got five snaps and two snaps, respectively. Ryan Griffin got 68 of those snaps, and, uh, you know, he had three catches for 10 yards, one nice first down, but other than that, I did see a couple good blocks from him, but he really doesn't have the impact that Chris Herndon has. Uh, you can see that the tight end position is is not really a big part of this offense, even though it's on the field. Uh, he's just not able to get it done at that position. He doesn't look bad. He looks like a backup tight end playing starting tight end. All right, moving over to the defense. On the defensive line, we've got Leonard Williams at 88% of the snaps. Henry Anderson at 71% of the snaps. McClendon had 51. We had 45, which is pretty high for Bronson Kafusi, And then 35 from Quinnen Williams. Mix in another 20% for Terrell Basham. And you've got yourself a defensive line. They really couldn't get much done in this game. It's supposed to be the strong unit for the team, but Singletary for the Bills had four rushes for 70 yards. He came in late and gouged us. He absolutely gouged us. Now, we did have a safety force in this game, which is nice. We stuffed Frank Gore there. But Singletary came out and picked up all this yardage in a game where we really couldn't afford huge chunk plays like that. We weren't getting them ourselves, and this game's going down the stretch. Defensive line didn't stop the running game well enough. 128 total yards for the Buffalo Bills rushing on 5.1 yards per attempt. Obviously, Josh Allen had 10 carries in there of that for 38 yards. We expected that. But, uh, you know, the they didn't stop the run the way you'd think they would do that. And then the pressures they got were minimal. Defensive line didn't re- register any sacks. They had four quarterback hits amongst the group. Three of those were Henry Anderson's, and then one of those was Leonard Williams. Nothing for anybody else on there. Henry Anderson did have a, a penalty in this game, a, a roughing the passer, where he put an extra shoulder into Josh Allen. There's another point in the game where he kind of like jumped at Josh Allen's legs a little bit when Josh Allen had already thrown the ball. Get a little chippy out there. Not sure uh, how the game was going for him on the field, but uh, you could see he was a little bit uh, PO'd. Didn't get the pressure that he was hoping for and didn't register any sacks. Same with Leo. Quiet game for both of them. Quinn and Williams got injured in this game a little bit, ended up in the walking boot like we talked about, and didn't play very many snaps, so his impact was minimal. He didn't even record a single stat in this game. Steve McClendon, he did pick up the fumble recovery on the Jordan Jenkins strip sack, but other than that, he was quiet. Uh, Bronson Kafusi, he made himself noticed out there with some some quarterback rushes a few times, got Josh Allen under pressure, but couldn't bring him down. Drill Basham, he had a very quiet day. So overall, the strength of the unit kind of ended up 
being one of the uh, one of the more quiet sections of the team. Edge rusher was a little bit better because we did get our one sack and it was a strip sack. Always nice to have from Jordan Jenkins on a really, really nice pass rush from him where he just got right through and then passed the defender quickly to get to Josh Allen for the nice uh, nice play. And this is when the Bills were moving down into Jets territory and early in the game, I think it was the first drive, they were on the verge of score and, and kind of opening the game up a little bit in favor of Bills. Jordan Jenkins snuffed that thing out real quick. And this edge outside linebacker position was one of the ones that I really wanted to look at coming into this game in terms of snap count. Um, you may consider Terrell Basham outside linebacker. You know, he does a little mixture of both. He's kind of a hybrid. He played those 14 snaps. But then you have your guy Jordan Jenkins, 59% of the snaps at 41 defensive snaps. That's the most for any of those outside guys. Next most was not Harvey Lange. It was Frankie Luvu, who had a very quiet game, minimal impact. And then it was Harvey Lange, Right behind, just one snap less than Frankie Luvu at the same position. And, uh, you know, he played 25 of the snaps versus Luvu's 26. That was a guy that was slated to be first in the depth chart, posted by the New York Jets PR department. Uh, it looks like it's kind of up in the air right now. Maybe whoever's got the hot hand, whoever's getting more done on defense, gets the opportunity. Harvey Lange didn't have a crazy good game either. He was very quiet, but uh, he did have a really nice pass deflection that tipped up and went into Neville Hewitt's arms for the uh, the Hewitt interception that almost set up the field goal before the half that could have changed everything. So, you know, it was a good move by him tipping the ball up and uh, Neville Hewitt capitalized on it. So that was the big impact from Harvey Lange. One of the turn- turnovers was caused by him. It just uh, otherwise was a pretty quiet day. So the edge was very quiet. You know who had a really good game was Neville Hewitt. Neville Hewitt had a really nice game and... I'm not going to say he's an incredible linebacker, uh, because I think he looks like a backup linebacker. I've always said that he belongs on this team. I've always said that he's better than Darren Lee, but I don't know that he's really supposed to be in a starting lineup. He does have some flaws in this game that can be you know, attacked by the opposing offenses, um, but he played 99% of snaps in this game. And just listen to the stat line. Right? It wasn't like the prettiest thing in the world. He wasn't all over the field like C.J. Mosley was, but he had eight tackles, a tackle for loss, a pass defense, two quarterback hits, and the interception. I mean, holy moly. The stat line looks really good. I mean, you watch the game, he didn't stand out other than the interception and a couple other plays. He didn't, like, really jump off the page. But if Darren Lee, this is John Butchko of Gangree Nation, actually made a good comment on this, paraphrasing a little bit, but he basically said, if Darren Lee posted the stat line that Neville Hewitt posted in this game, it would have been essentially the one of the best games of his career. I mean, that's just what this guy came out and did, stat line-wise. Now, his performance was totally, totally overshadowed by what C.J. Mosley did because C.J. Mosley was everywhere. He was everywhere. He had the interception returned for a touchdown. He had the fumble recovery on a, a bobbled snap that went on the ground. He picked that ball up. He had pass deflections. He was chasing receivers like 40 yards downfield. I mean, he had a pass breakup in the end zone on a dime of a throw from Josh Allen that was lined up for the receiver right in the end zone. C.J. Mosley jumps in front and tips that thing. I don't know how he's keeping up with the guy way down there. Maybe that's how he injured his groin trying to keep up with that. But uh, but in the you know two and a half quarters he played, he had five tackles, two pass defenses, and he was all over the field. He was stopping plays right when it had to be done, and he was clearly the best player out there. Worth every penny. Highest paid linebacker in the league. I don't care. He's worth it, clearly. We just got to get him healthy. Blake Cashman came in for a few plays because C.J. Mosley got injured. Blake Cashman, next man up, the rookie. He didn't have a great game. He didn't mess anything up. He missed a tackle or two, um, but he didn't have the positive impact you need from him. He looks like a bench player who should be playing special teams and has a little bit of a ways to go before he really can make an impact 
on the field as an inside linebacker. You really want it to be C.J. Mosley's your number one guy. Ideally, it'd be Avery Williamson on the other side, but Neville Hewitt has the edge right now, plays a little bit better. Cashman maybe will be able to pass him at some point in this year if he can learn, grow, and prove that he can uh, you know, run a little faster than Hewitt and still make the same impact in the uh, running game, but we'll see what can happen. We could talk about cornerbacks, but it was absolutely awful. Trumaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts had very bad games. I mean, I was really happy that Trumaine Johnson suited up and was healthy to play this game, but the way that he played just wasn't good enough. Same goes for Daryl Roberts. They both had penalties in this game. Daryl Roberts gave up the game-winning touchdown and had a penalty holding the receiver on the same play. I mean, he couldn't even stop him with the penalty from getting a game-winning touchdown. Had he actually done it and, like, just tackled the guy, we may have won. It would have stopped him at, like, the 10-yard line, and maybe we could have won the game. These guys are actually our two leading tacklers for the game. Both of them had eight tackles, believe it or not. Um, Yeah, you don't want your cornerbacks to be your leading tacklers. That's never a good sign. That means they're getting picked on. That means, you know, why run the ball when we can just throw it right on these cornerbacks every time? They've given them a three-yard cushion, catch the ball, tackle them with your cornerbacks. It was an ugly showing from the two of them. You hope it gets better, but both of those two guys played 100% of snaps. Then on 54% of the snaps was our nickel cornerback, Brian Poole, who didn't have a bad game, and he actually did have that stuff for the uh, safety against Frank Gore, which is a really nice play. Other than that, he wasn't targeted all too much, wasn't too involved in the game plan. Um, But then after him, no cornerback played, no Nate Hairston, no Arthur Mollette. We knew Bennett Jackson, who can potentially play cornerback, was inactive for this game. We literally played those three guys. It was True and Roberts, 100% of the snaps, no matter what, left and right side. And then it was Brandon Poole, Brian Poole, um, for half the snaps at nickel. And that was it. No other cornerback. So hopefully, some way, somehow, Harrison or Mollette or somebody that's a free agent right now or a trade that Joe Douglas made somewhere, hopefully somebody can step up and play this position a little bit better than what we're seeing so far. If you're going to stick with just 100% two cornerbacks, this guy and this guy, they can't both be awful. You know, they need to step it up. I expect more from Truman Johnson. I expect more from Daryl Roberts, to be honest, because Daryl Roberts had a pretty good season playing cornerback when he did last year and the year before. He's been a pretty good player. You're under contract. Truman Johnson, we know what he was a few years ago. I think he was always overpaid. The bar was always set a little bit too high when he got that contract. It's like, well, now he's got to be one of the best cornerbacks in the league. He was never going to be that, but he's got to be better than this. He, he has to be able to stop. These receivers are fast, very fast, but the quarterback-receiver combo of this, I mean... <laughs> We're going to be playing Antonio Brown and Tom Brady combos. You're not as worried about the John Brown and Josh Allen combos. You know what I mean? So that's going to be, you know, it's going to be the big thing that really kills us all year, our Achilles heel. No, we don't have a pass rush. Sure, we're going to have trouble getting open with our receivers and stuff. The offensive line may not be perfect, but the real thing that's going to kill us all year long is going to be the play from the cornerbacks. I don't see us bringing in outside help. I don't, someone really good. I don't see us trading a second round pick for a guy like Jalen Ramsey. I don't see us doing something like that. A lot of people are, you know, maybe we go for a Dolphins player because all the Dolphins players are revolting and trying to get the heck out of Miami right now. I don't see them trading with us and giving us one of those players either. Unfortunately, this is kind of the bed that we've made. We knew it was coming. There's no question. There is no question that it's going to be addressed before next year begins. I know that's not what you want to hear, but there's going to be holes in this team. We're coming from a very bad season last year where we fired everybody. I mean, you're not going to be perfect six, eight, nine months later. There's going to be holes in your team. These are our holes. They're going to be addressed. So don't worry about that. It's just not going to happen this year. And it's not something, you know, we're used to seeing Darrell Rivas, 
Cromartie playing well. Ty Law played some seasons. We've had good cornerbacks in the New York Jets, you know, a bunch of times. We don't have it right now. This is one of the worst cornerback groups we've ever had, in my memory. One of the worst we've ever had. So, it's going to be something we're going to have to suffer through all year long. We'll see if one of these unknown guys can step up, or one of the guys that's starting can play a little bit better, elevate their game. Maybe Greg Williams can change his scheme up a little bit and uh, and find a way to make it better. Going to safety, it was really two guys. It was Jamal Adams, Marcus May. Both had really good games. Jamal Adams didn't change the game the way he always does, but he did uh, He did make some nice plays, had a couple nice tackles. He rushed Josh Allen, forced him out of the pocket on a third down where he had to scramble and didn't pick up the first down, basically forced the punt by doing that. Uh, he did play back deep in coverage a bit because the Jets needed help back there. I do honestly think that the better cornerback play in this game was done by Marcus May, who, thank goodness this guy's healthy and back on the field. You forget what it looks like to have a free safety that knows what he's doing, not Daryl Roberts, a you know, transferred cornerback who doesn't know how to play the position. Marcus May's really good. He almost had two picks in this game. One he had called back for a penalty. The other one he almost had out of his hands, and if he'd caught that one, we probably would have won the game, to be honest. It was like he was running through on the right side of the field before the end zone, had his hands on it, should have been caught. Mm, it's okay. That's why he's a safety, right? That's why he's not a wide receiver. He doesn't have perfect hands, but it was a nice play, good ball hawking, really nice to have Marcus May back there. We have uh, we have two pretty awesome safeties. It just may not show it all year because we have two poor cornerbacks, You know, at least in terms of what we're expecting from them. Then really quick through special teams. Horrible, horrible game from Kari Vedvik. He goes to the doghouse. He gets cut. We replace him. We already know that. Locke Edwards had an amazing game. He punted five times inside the 20. One of them inside the, the three or two, which caused the safety on the Frank Gore run. That was awesome. Loved it from Locke Edwards. The snaps by Hennessy, long snapper, not great. Not great. We had a couple, you know, that one on the on the long field goal try by Vedvik was not a great snap. You know, it still should have been kicked in, though. We're not going to blame it all on Hennessy because it did get there. Return game was minimal. We hardly had any returns in this. Braxton Berrios, we still don't know about him. He's our punt returner. But we haven't seen anything from him to decide whether he's good or bad at it. He didn't drop anything, but you were still nervous every time I got kicked to him because you're like, I don't know this guy. What is he doing back there? Um, he didn't make any mistakes, so that's good. Return game in the, the kicking game, the Bills didn't really do anything scoring, and then when they finally started scoring, we weren't returning him out of the end zone, so nothing there. Special teams, the snap counts go as Rontez Miles led the team with 21 snaps. He's our special teams captain. Uh, the next best guy is the guy we picked up, Albert McClellan, who played 17 of the snaps on special teams. And then the next three guys were Blake Cashman, Trenton Cannon, Joshua Bellamy. They played 16 snaps. So Rontez Miles is, is standing out as your leader on special teams, followed by McClellan, and then you know Cashman, Bellamy, and Cannon. We know that they're for special teams. Get them involved and see what they can do. So that was kind of our game recap, player by player, snap counts. We got a good feel for how Adam Gase and, and Greg Williams view the players in their respective units. You know, who got the snap counts. We see that Le'Veon Bell's way ahead of Ty Montgomery. We see that Crowder is going to be thrown the ball a lot. Ryan Griffin is clearly the tight end ahead of Trevon Wesco and Daniel Brown, who basically had no playing time between the two of them. Uh, we've seen that. The Jets don't trust Nate Harrison to play cornerback yet. That uh, Matthias Farley, the pickup at safety, he wasn't in entering the game. And that with all these defensive linemen we have, we're not suiting them all up. And now with Nathan Shepard out, you know, that's going to change things a little bit more. But uh, he was an inactive guy anyway. Anyways, we got a little feel for what the team was going to do and how it's going to move forward. It's probably going to be similar to this with a fluid, you know, fluid change as the coaching adjustments happen. We're playing the Browns. It's a little different than 
playing the Bills this week. But before I get into the Browns game briefly, I do want to touch on Father Time because my father, David Burnham, has given me another submission for Father Time in this week's episode of Father Time. This is written by David Burnham, read by Daniel Burnham. Here we go. As Jets fans, please remember, a new offense and defense are being installed. Compared to last year, Adam Gase runs a complicated offense that is similar to Josh McDaniel's offense. It's a short throw, pre-snap, matchup-based offense that Sam needs time with. It's nothing like last year's offense. Greg Williams, he plays a diverse defense and asks all players to know two, sometimes three positions. They've both only scratched the surface. Last Sunday, Sam Darnold threw over 68% against the number three defense in last year's rating. Ryan Khalil oversees the O-line and barely practiced. Le'Veon Bell was great. C.J. Mosley was great. Jamison Crowder was good. All new players and all major contributors. We created four turnovers and scored eight points on defense. The bottom line, the Jets should have won. And we need a place kicker. End excerpt. So that is what uh, my dad had on his mind this week. I know, it's a bummer my dad doesn't read them. I have to read them for him. I don't even sound like him. But uh, this is what he does. He doesn't want to be involved yet. I haven't gotten him in the capacity of actually sharing his voice on the podcast. So this is what we get. He's a very good Jets fan, very knowledgeable, has been watching for years. And all of his insight is greatly appreciated. And he's exactly right on this one. I mean, I'm with him. I was really actually relieved when he sent me this uh, this father time because there's a lot of the people, you know, fans of the Jets and stuff are, are feeling really negative. A lot of rain clouds around the thing. I'm trying to stay optimistic because I wait nine months for football to finally come back and it gets here. And then everybody just tries to, like, after one game, just start shitting on this team. Be like, it's terrible. Nothing's going to work. The coaches need to go. The players need to go. Sam Darnold's not the answer. It's like, oh, my God, I didn't wait this long to watch one single game against a division rival in the first game of the year and then decide that everything's going to be, you know, a terrible, awful run from here on out and just ruin the rest of the season for myself. Why would I want to be like that? That's just like, that's the same old Jets fan mentality. It's not the same old Jets, the same old Jets fan. Don't get them confused. So my dad sends me this and I'm excited because it's like, yeah, you know what? This is exactly what I was thinking. It's a brand new offense. It's a brand new defense. And he's right. They're both more complicated than what we ran last year. We're asking a lot of players to do a lot of different things. That includes Sam Darnold and the offensive line and the receivers and everybody else. We did have a good, solid game passing the ball in terms of accuracy, 68%. This was a good defense, number three. Le'Veon Bell, great. C.J. Mosley, great. I mean, these are all my thoughts, and it's phrased in a positive way. My dad has been known to be one of those, you know, keep in mind he's like 58 years old, so he's seen a lot of this, and as everyone says, the older Jets fan you get, the more pessimistic you get. He's seen a lot, and he has a tendency to be a little bit more on the pessimistic end. But he's absolutely right with this one. Not out of line. This team is not as bad as it looked like, and the sky's not falling. This isn't a chaos season already. We have a ton of time to correct things. Right? Every game is important. Can't lose anyone. The first game's just as important as the last game. They're all worth one. We would have loved to win this one. But you know what we didn't? But we can recover from it. We can pick up a game we shouldn't have won. We can go on a stretch, we can we can build on it, and we can get our team in a position to move forward in future years and keep improving. Rome wasn't built in a day. You don't turn a bad Jets football team into a great Jets football team in a day either. It takes time, so let's give it some time. And, and let's not make so much fun of the Bills. The Bills aren't that bad. I don't know, everyone hates Josh Allen. Josh Allen's not a bad quarterback. 
he has issues for sure. He plays too much hero ball. His accuracy can be questionable, but the guy can run. He puts his whole heart and soul into every game. He's got a cannon for an arm. His accuracy seems to be getting a little bit better, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, he threw two t- two interceptions. Both of them were tipped up. Right? They weren't awful throws. They were tipped passes that were intercepted. He had a fumble on a strip sack as Jordan Jenkins hit him from behind. And then a bad snap. That's four turnovers right there. The only one that I really, truly blame on him is the fumble. And like, you know, sometimes you get hit from behind and you fumble the ball. Even Tom Brady does that. We saw it in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. He lost the game by doing that. It's not an indictment on Josh Allen. Oh, the guy has turnovers like crazy. Listen, tipped passes, intercepted, whatever. Josh Allen, I'm just tired of everybody ragging on him because he's not as bad as they say. Um, He is our rival, sure. But, you know, I feel for the guy. I feel like he gets a lot of flack from people that, I don't know what they expect out of him. He's supposed to be perfect, I guess. The third quarterback taken in the draft by the Buffalo Bills playing up there with those receivers and Sean McDermott. Supposed to be amazing right away. Um, nobody gives anybody any time anymore. You know, instant results. Everybody's just just generations of people that just, I want it now. I don't want to wait. Well, you know what? you got to be patient sometimes. All right, so this is becoming like the longest episode I've ever done, which I try not to do, but I had so many things I wanted to get to today. We had some breaking news on the Jets with Demarius Thomas and Nathan Shepard, the new kicker. Frickin', frickin', fickin', who's now going to be kicking. Um, I wanted to get to standings really quick because this is just a reminder that it's not all terrible. The Bills and Patriots have the lead in the AFC East. One win, no losses for both. The Jets and Dolphins are tied for less. No wins, one loss. We're one game back in the division, right? No need to panic yet. Bills beat us. It sucks. We should have beaten them. We're 0-1. We're one game back. From them, from the Patriots. When you look around the AFC, the Titans won, nobody else in their division won. The Ravens won, nobody else in their division won. The only other division other than the Bills and Patriots, both won in the AFC East, the only other division that has two winners is the AFC West. They have three, the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the Chargers. That's a good division. So when you're looking through it, like if you're doing wildcard standings right now, you'd say Chiefs win the division, Patriots win the division, and then the three teams that are in there, Chargers, Bills, Raiders, pick two. It's three teams there. And it's the Bills, the Raiders, and the Chargers. The Jets can easily enter this fray. This thing's not won or lost. It's not over for the Texans. It's not over for the Jaguars, for the Steelers, the Browns, the Jets. But you know what? You do have to start winning games. The Jets have to beat the Browns. They should beat the Browns if they want to continue their you know, playoff push, which is the real goal for this whole thing. It's not to win the division. It's just to be competitive and have a chance for a wild card at the end of the year, I think is a fair bar. We very easily could come up short of that. And if everything goes right, who knows? We could exceed that. But just being in the conversation of like, can the Jets make the playoffs? Let's see if they go on a whatever, three games left. Maybe if they win all three, they make the playoffs. Something like that would be, uh, you know, give us a chance at least. Then we come down to it. The Browns, Monday Night Football. Are you kidding me? Monday Night Football is the worst. First of all, you have to wait until Monday Night Football. And second of all, they always put you against a good team. It's never like the Jets aren't going to play the Dolphins this year on Monday Night Football, a team that's that bad, right? We're not going to play the Titans on Monday Night Football. It's going to be like the Jets versus the Browns because the storyline's there. you got the Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. You've got the Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. You know, Kareem Hunt's on that team not playing now. they got all these big storylines in Cleveland. The Jets, they add Le'Veon Bell. They're setting this whole thing up to be 
kind of like a drama mess. They don't want it to be some great two teams. This isn't like the Saints going up against the Chiefs, two awesome teams. Let's watch them go. This is like, let's see which one of these teams crashes and burns first. It's kind of what the NFL is saying to me here with this game. And, uh, you know, whatever. It's their entertainment thing. That's fine. The Jets are going to do what they can to stay out of the spotlight. I'm sure of it. They've done it all year long. The Browns, maybe not. Maybe they'll jump in and say something stupid or uh, do something dumb on, uh, you know, a national broadcast. Whatever. Dead guys get ejected from their game last week. Jets don't seem to have those issues right now. Our players are actually pretty good guys. Our players actually kind of show up for work, do their jobs. Let's just see if it results in a win. We do have some stuff we got to watch out for. Number one, Baker Mayfield had a really bad week one. He didn't get protected very well by his offensive line either. So that's kind of the weakness of their team paired up against one of the weaknesses of our team. The pass rush of our team versus the offensive line of their team. Which one's going to be worse? If we can get the pass rush and get hits on Baker Mayfield like the five sacks he took last week, we could easily force him into one of those bad games that he just had against the Titans. We threw three interceptions. We can get him to that, but if we can't get pressure on him, he's got time to stand in the backfield. I mean, he's got good receivers over there, and we've got bad cornerbacks. And he could easily stand back in the pocket and deliver it to Jarvis Landry, and Odell Beckham Jr. all game long and make us look foolish, and hopefully that doesn't happen. Their running game's nothing to write home about. Nick Chubb is a good running back for them. He's not an, a superior talent. He's not one of those guys that you have to game plan around. You have to stop him, for sure. The Jets' defensive line has to be a little bit better. They can't give up huge chunk yardage plays like they did to Singletary or the Bills, but I think they can stop Chubb relatively well, keep him under 100 yards. It just comes down to getting pressure on Baker Mayfield. And then offensively, I mean, the Browns have, uh, it's hard to say with their defense. They've got some big names out there. They've got, you know, Denzel Ward, good cornerback. they got Miles Garrett, good pass rush. They've got some good players mixed in. Schobert in the middle of the field. He's a good tackler. Um, they definitely have good players. But the New York Jets, they have to show a little bit more from their offensive playbook. They have to get Le'Veon Bell involved in the game, but very possibly in more creative ways than we've seen. Some more interesting, creative pass plays to Le'Veon Bell, you know, getting him outside as a receiver more, maybe getting Ty Montgomery mixed in for like a dual running back set and then shift one guy out. You can put him in motion and figure out what the defensive formation is pre-snap and do some reads like that. Get the other wide receivers involved. Robbie Anderson, Quincy Nunwa. I don't know if Demarius Thomas is going to be available. My guess is probably not. There's no reason to really put him into this game. He's probably not going to be, I mean, so he shows up to practice on Thursday. He's got like Thursday and Friday to practice, do some walkthroughs. Um, I don't think he's going to know the playbook well enough. Maybe you can put him in there on a goal line series, but there's a good chance he'll be inactive for this game. We'll see what the Jets opt to do, but they need to get their receivers involved. It can't just be Jameson Crowder catching five-yard balls and Le'Veon Bell rushing up the middle. It's got to be a little bit more creative than that. We hold Adam Gase to a higher standard than that. He's an offensive coach. Are you supposed to be a great, creative, offensive mind? Let's see it. This is the game we want to win. This is a national broadcast against the Bills or the Browns, who I can't stand. Can't stand Baker Mayfield. Can't stand the hype that they get. Honestly, no joke, before any of the stuff. Three of the people that I can't stand the most in the entire NFL. Jarvis Landry, Odo Beckham Jr., Baker Mayfield. Put them on one team that hasn't had success in, like, ever, and then spend an entire offseason talking about how amazing they are. And then put us against them on a national broadcast for Monday Night Football. It's like, this is just, I would love to win this game. This one, uh, this one would be, this one would be important to me. And then, you know, my original expectation for the first quarter of the season was going to be a one and three record. 
with a win against the Bills, and then a loss to the Browns, Eagles, and Patriots. And we lost to the Bills, but if we beat the Browns, who just came off a bad loss to the Titans, I mean, technically, they're not in a great spot right now. We could beat them, potentially. And if we do, we go back to that 1-3, and three, right back on pace for the 9-7 and seven season I predicted. And 9-7 and seven puts you in that playoff hunt. Might not put you in the playoffs, but it'll make things interesting. You may be a field goal kicker two away from making it or not making it. My prediction for this game... I don't want to go with my with my heart because like losing the Buffalo is like, well now we have to beat the we have to beat the Browns. I think that we don't match up well enough against them to make Baker Mayfield uncomfortable enough to where we need to get him. Um and from what I saw from the offense last week, I don't think we're all the way there to start having an impressive, you know, dynamic offensive run. We're not looking at four hundred, five hundred total yards of offense next week, probably, from what I've seen. It looks like it's going to be a little bit more of a work in progress, which no fan wants to hear or see, but that's probably the reality of the thing. Um, I probably think that we're going to lose this game. My guess would be 27 to 14. I'll say 27 to 13, honestly. Well, it's like, are we going to score two touchdowns in this game or is it going to be field goals? But then are we going to kick field goals either? I mean, this could be a ridiculous score if we can't get a field goal in. Um, I'll say 27, 14, score two touchdowns. I guess I have... uh, two extra points made in there. But I just see the Browns doing a little bit more, us not being able to stop their receivers and, and not make Baker uncomfortable enough. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just trying to be realistic. I'm not trying to, like, you know, spend every single week coming in here saying, this is why the Jets are going to win this week. This is why they're going to win, because they're not going to win. You know, they may lose half their game, so i got to be negative half the time in my predictions. Um, so yeah, but don't get me wrong. This is definitely a winnable game. I mean, we have much better chance of winning this game than we do beating the Patriots. Or a team that's, you know, a former playoff team. This is the Browns. They were a mess last week. There's a good chance they come out and lay an egg. I just feel like their personalities, like that Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield, like they can't wait for Monday Night Football. And just they're going to find a way to be their best selves because everybody's watching and they have to make sure they're their best selves because it's so important. Their egos are critical to these players. And, uh, you know, hopefully they don't. Hopefully they lay a goose egg and the New York Jets absolutely rock and roll this team. We got to wait till Monday to find out. Late night game. It's tough uh, making it through Sunday, but you know what? It'll probably be a very entertaining game. They're going to do a good job hyping it up all week, I'm sure. And then I'll be back on Tuesday to go over everything that I saw. One less day to uh, to evaluate everything and, and get my thoughts together. Hopefully I'm not too pissed off on Tuesday morning, the day of making the podcast and stuff. It doesn't uh, bleed into it a little bit. I always have that. Like yesterday, if I made this podcast, it probably would have been a lot more negative. I needed that buffer time to like rationalize that everything's okay. It's all good. Um, I could definitely never do it Sunday. So for those of you who are like, you know, just do one. Rea- you don't want my reactionary one. It is way too reactionary. We need a real, uh, a rational viewpoint. And we're probably only going to get that on like a Tuesday. So we'll keep it the way it is. Be back next Tuesday. Thank you for joining me. Follow me. On Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan for some live, you know, during the games I tweet sometimes. During the week, I definitely tweet, got ideas, thoughts going on. And rate, review, subscribe, podcast, all that good stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 